Today is Sunday, November 26, 2017, and this is Celtics Beat here on CLNS Media. And I am Evan Valenti filling in for Larry H. Russell here on this Sunday. Today's show is brought to you by MyBookie.ag. Go to MyBookie.ag right now. Use the promo code CELTICSBEAT. They'll match your deposit up to a 50% bonus. Also brought to you in part by DraftKings.com. DraftKings.com and use the promo code CLNS at first deposit with a $5 deposit at least. You get free entry into a $10,000 pool. Here on Thanksgiving weekend, thankful for every single one of you. Thankful for the fact that Celtics are still very good even though they had a 16-game winning streak come to a close on Wednesday night at the hand of the Miami Heat. Back again, winning again, as they are atop of the Eastern Conference still, even with that loss to Miami. I love the fact this team is already gelling, and we're going to get to Ryan Bernardoni in a second, but you guys can win two tickets to the Celtics at the TD Garden on Wednesday, December 6th, against the Mavericks. Enter right now by purchasing Harry's this holiday season using our promo code, harrys.com backslash Celtics. That's harrys.com backslash Celtics, then you have to send a screenshot of your receipt and email it to Larry at LHR at CLNSmedia.com. Again, that's LHR, CLNSmedia.com. You win two tickets to see Celtics Mavs in Boston December 6th. Again, by going to harrys.com, backslash Celtics, make a purchase, then email your receipt to LHR at clnsmedia.com. It's that easy. You get a free pair of tickets by buying razors. This is not complicated. It's not a lot of money, and you might get two free tickets to see the Celtics. That's pretty good. Coming up next, he is the editor-in-chief of Celtics Hub. He's also the former overlord of Celtics Reddit. It is the one, the only, the great Ryan Bernardoni. So, Ryan, you know, we'll get into some Celtic stuff in a minute, but uh, I just need you to confirm or deny. So you, it, this is kind of shocking to me, but you are, in fact, not a Twitter-using cat dressed up in a suit. I can, can cannot confirm nor deny. I might be. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's a secret that, that no one can, uh, can crack. Uh, yeah. But I can talk, so and I can use a phone, so, you know, you can draw your own conclusions from that. You can talk, you can tweet, uh, you have the, the use of your extremities, fingers and stuff, but that could just be, you know, claws, tap dancing at the phone. So, again, still potentially, jury's still yeah. out, Ryan Bernardoni might be a cat that wears a suit. Yes, cat tap tactile pad. So, <laughs> I, I'm, that could be. <laughs> All right, good, good to know. I can keep that mystery going. But uh, we, we talked with Ryan, of course, uh, one of the most important people in the Celtics universe, former overlord of the Celtics Reddit page now happens to be the editor-in-chief of a great website you all are familiar with, the CelticsHub.com, um, at DangerCart. Anyway, so getting back to this, Celtics just broke their 16-game winning streak, lost in Miami. Pretty ridiculous winning streak from start to finish when you factor everything in, Rye. You had a f- most surprising thing about what Boston was able to accomplish over the, the 16 games, including the fact that they won 16 games in a row, or is there something that jumps out a little bit more to you? Uh, no, I mean, I think the fact that they won 16 games in a row is uh, probably the most uh, the most impressive thing. Um, uh, you know, I'm like everybody else. The, um, in the immediate aftermath of Gordon Hayward getting injured, to think that it would take them, you know, one and a half games to get to sort of 
uh, be able to move forward and put back together a, a functional uh, offense and defense um, is is incredible. That's a testament to the coaching staff, but also to a lot of the players, a lot of very young players who came in and uh, probably thought they were going to be playing one role, and five minutes into the season, they're asked to play another role, and, and in a number of cases, they've stepped up and uh, and been able to fill those roles admirably. So, um, but yeah, I mean, the most the most impressive thing is simply that they won 16 games, and, and when you look at how they did it, uh, the fact that they had uh, early on were pretty dominant in the way that they did that, and then sort of as the streak progressed and some things normalized, uh, they showed uh, you know an impressive spirit for a team playing November basketball games um, to continually come back from from large deficits. You don't like to see a team fall behind by large deficits all the time, but the fact that they were able to come back and continue to play 48 minutes, uh, some of that might be a little bit of strategy in there with the way they rest players and deploy players at the end of games. But um, you know, there's a lot of things to be impressed and impressed uh, by in there. But again, number one, they won 16 games in a row. It doesn't happen very often. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, it's hard to just get past that one simple fact. Brad talked about that, you know, in the aftermath of the loss. He, you know, he was the, came out of the gate saying, like, look, we, we weren't as good as the 16-game winning streak anyway. Like, I think it was a little bit of facade, and he tried to to try to illustrate that to people, and I think the loss kind of helps do that. But he did he did mention that the fact that this team's ability to come back and, and their ability to claw and scratch and, and find a way to find some sort of rhythm in, in the middle of a game where they have none is an important part of this team. And I made this point. On a radio show that I host, I was talking about how, you know, everybody was worried about the Celtics culture after so many guys left. You lose Kelly Olynyk, you lose Jay Crowder, you lose Avery Bradley, Isaiah Thomas. These aren't just like the end of the bench guys. These are real core guys. And it was a big thing about how their culture might suffer throughout the entire season. I thought that was a valid point. But now that you look at it, Boston still kind of wins the same way they've been winning. They're just a little bit more talented at doing it. And that's, to me a testament to just who Brad is. Brad is a guy that makes sure his team plays the way that they're supposed to play. You play hard for all 48 minutes, whether the ball goes in or not, doesn't matter. You still have to have the same mindset, play to play, possession to possession. So I think the fact that this team was able to come back down 18 to Charlotte, down 17 twice to Golden State, down double digits to Dallas and Atlanta and to Toronto and all these teams, like to to have the ability to say, okay, we have a short memory, we're going to wipe the slate clean, we're going to come out in the second half, we're going to do the things that we're supposed to do. Again, that's kind of the ultimate testament to Brad and his coaching staff, I believe. Yeah, I think if you look at um, the way that he builds the team over the last couple of years, you see uh, a trend that there's sort of a macro level thing of what you're talking about, that they have certain tenets that everybody is expected to buy into and, and to, to play towards. Uh, things like effort on defense and communication and, and on offense being unselfish and, and moving the ball. Uh, but at the sort of micro level, what he's been really fantastic at uh, since basically day one is he doesn't have a rigid system that he expects everybody to fit into on either end, really. Uh, so he builds the specifics of the team to the strengths of the individual players. So you know, the, the easiest one to highlight was Evan Turner, who, when he was here, he was given a role that he could excel in, in a sort of micro sense. And in the macro sense, the trade-off was you have to do these things on defense. You have to play a certain way on offense. But the role specific that we're going to put him into uh, is one that accentuates what he is good at and doesn't try to force a sort of um, idea. You know, there's no triangle. There's no seven seconds or less. There's nothing that sort of says you have to play this way. If each player has a role that, uh, in theory, they'll be able to, to excel in. And you're seeing that uh, again, this year, and with a number of players, uh, you know the way the team uses Marcus Morris and Semiojale on offense is completely different. Even though on defense they play sort of similar roles, doing doing similar things, 
Uh, but when you when they have the ball, they don't try to force one player to to do one thing. Um, you know, Marcus Morris takes shots that no one else on the team would shoot. Ojale is basically only a three-point shooter in a sort of more traditional NBA role. Marcus Smart, again, has a role that fits what his talents are, obviously. It, you know, things are working in, in uh, the team sense, even if in some cases for him they are. And so I think that's a really important thing that you see with Brad is that he says you have these certain things that everybody is expected to do, but then I'm not going to force anything that is not within your current skill set on you. We'll work on development and things like that, but that he does tailor the system offensively and defensively to the personnel he has. And that's a really hard thing to do. There aren't many coaches that can do that. Most even good coaches that we think of other than Popovich and some others, um, you know, have a system and they want everybody to play that system and they want to force the parts into that system. Um, I think that's been a, a huge advantage that the Celtics have had over the last couple of years in developing and utilizing different players. I, I mean, I love Brad and, and he's, you know, from the jump, I, I mean, I can, I remember when they hired him, like, I can tell you exactly where I was just because I thought it was a monumental occasion for the Boston Celtics. They really nailed it. Um, you mentioned Marcus Smart in there and I mean, <laughs> I, I I don't know if we've had a more Marcus Smart stretch than what we've had over the past couple of the games. Um, you know, you had what was the game against Dallas where he was three fifteen and was still a plus fifteen. Um, going after that Dallas game, I uh, I went back and looked at some of the the numbers, the the, the shooting numbers specifically. He was shooting twenty one percent from the field in one hundred and fifty nine minutes, um, and was still a plus like fifty six. Like it just doesn't. What do you make of the Marcus Smart conundrum? Because this is like it just, it just a guy that shoots this poorly should not have this big of an effect on the game. But like as Brad said. I know at the end of the game when when we need stuff to happen, like he just he has to be out there. He makes too many plays. What's what's your take on this? How do we get? What, what is what is the future for Marcus Moore? Because it's just it's just crazy to watch him go out there, make big play after big play, but miss big shot after big shot. Uh, so in my opinion, there's a couple things that are going on. Um, one of them is that there's there's probably a little bit of smoke and mirrors here, right? Like if you have a player who shoots this poorly and and has this many offensive flaws. If you put them into a playoff series, that's going to be a problem, right? Teams will start to ignore them. And and when you're playing in the regular season and teams aren't practicing, something that Brad's talked about is that the new extended schedule means that they don't really have time to practice. They do kind of a walkthrough and talk about some highlight things. But teams aren't game planning around particular elements that different teams has or have. And so some of it is probably a little bit of luck early in the season that he's been shooting this poorly, but he's been on the floor for stretches where the rest of the team has been playing well enough on offense that they've been able to extend or extend leads or have big comebacks or things like that. Um, so setting that aside, I think that that's probably true and part of it. Um, the other things that are going on is that he's probably the best perimeter defensive player in the league right now. Um, there may be a few others. There are certainly a few others who you can put into that argument, but, or at least in terms of small, you know, in terms of player, his size, uh, and that that's a big deal. There's two sides of the game, and the Celtics have been winning primarily on defense, and he's a phenomenal defensive player. Uh, I think he's been the best Celtics defender for a while now, even though you know Avery Bradley may have gotten more of the plaudits. I've thought that his versatility um, and the way that he ends possessions, that he you know, gets steals and can block some shots and things like that, uh, is a hugely positive thing for the, for the team. Uh, and then the other thing that happens is that he can run the offense. He, he can't shoot. Um, but he gets assists and can sort of keep things ticking along okay while he's playing on these second units that don't give up any points because it's him and Rogier and Baines and uh, Ojale and Marcus Morris. And like, they just don't give up any points. And if you can run a semi-competent offense on the other side, you're sort of going to hit a level where your team is going to be a positive. Um, you know, Tony Allen, who has been probably the best, you know, that, that 
title of best perimeter defender under some amount of size for years, didn't have that skill at all, right? He was a complete non-factor on offense unless he was in a, you know, finishing on the fast break or something. Like, he had no offensive talent. Um, and that's not the case with Smart. He has enough where he can get by. And then when it gets to the very end, he does make plays that other players simply don't seem to be able to make. He gets an offensive rebound. He, I, you know, everybody says this, but if the ball rotates to him and you're down three points with a minute to go and he takes the shot, you feel a lot more confident that he's going to make it. If the ball rotates to him and you're up 12 in the second quarter, that he'll make it. And I don't know what that is. I have no idea what, what leads to that. But there are things that happen in there that, that make him a positive player. And then again, some of it is maybe a little bit of luck and that's something to worry about. I also wonder if he's still injured, right? I mean, he sprained both of his ankles in this two games. Um, so you, he's had injury problems throughout his career, in part because just he plays so fast or plays so hard and, and does things that are crazy. In this case, you know, a player went flying into his feet. It wasn't anything that he did wrong. But um, I do wonder a little bit if he's still injured. Yeah, I, I've always had that problem with, with Marcus. Like, is he, like, even in preseason, he plays too hard. It's like, dude, just, just chill out for a minute. Like, I know you, you only have one gear, and that's great, and it's great for, for, you know, everybody involved that they watch one guy go out there and go crazy, and, and it's good for culture and all that stuff, but he just, he plays so hard. But you mentioned how, like, Marcus, you know, is the best defender on the Celtics, but you see now, you know, a lot of the defensive player of the year talk early on after 20 games or 19 games has been Al Horford's defensive player of the year candidacy. Do you give the Boston Celtics, defensive identity more credit to Al or more credit to Marcus? Um, I think the defensive identity maybe comes from Marcus, but Al's 6'10", and he can move his feet, and that's just more valuable. So uh, I think that Al Horford's been the best defensive player on the Celtics, and the reason that Defensive Player of the Year is so rarely somebody who's Marcus Smart's size. Even if Smart can play bigger, it's just, you know, there's only so much you can do if, if you're 6'4". Um, so I do think that Horford has been the best defensive player, and if you have a team that is, by a pretty wide margin, uh, the best defensive team in the league, then if you were to give a 19 games into the season Defensive Player of the Year award, it's pretty much going to come off the Celtics. I think it would be right to give it to Horford. But in terms of sort of quarterbacking of the defense and setting the defensive identity and defensive practice and all those sorts of things, from all indications from the front office and the coaching staff, that's probably Marcus as much as anybody, uh, even if Al has more um, tools that he can use for sort of the modern NBA game. So I'm glad we kind of we've kind of gravitated toward this way because this is sort of one of the things I want to talk about in terms of what's the most surprising thing from the 16 game winning streak. And yes, the fact that they won 16 games in a row is is just absolutely remarkable considering how the season started. Um, but the one the, the the most surprising to me, and we're going to get to some other little storylines about this thing in a minute. But the one the biggest surprising to me is I was crunching some numbers I think before the Dallas game. So again, this is probably skewed since then. But in that 15 or 16 game winning streak. I was going back because Boston had the best uh, defensive rating in the league. You know, wh wh whatever metric you wanted to use, I like to use per 100 possessions. And Boston had the best defensive rating in the league at like 96.08. Now, don't hold me to that number. I don't know if it's the actual number, but that's the one number that sticks in my head. And so I, I, w I went back to last year and I looked at last year's data and like the Spurs were at like 98.54 or something like that. But they, we all talked about how like historically good the, 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 the Spurs were last year at defense. But I was like, oh, Boston in this 16 game sample size, 17 game sample size was better than that. Then I kept going back and back and back and back and further and further and further until I got to a number that was lower than the Celtics. And I, at the end of, the, of this winning streak, I was like, you know, if Boston were to somehow maintain this defensive pace the entire year, which is, I think, kind of impossible. 
But if they were to somehow maintain this, I don't know if people realize this, but the Boston Celtics were putting up similar defensive numbers to the 2003-2004 Detroit Pistons team that won the NBA title that year. Now, I'm not saying the Boston Celtics are the Detroit Pistons. That's not what I'm saying. I just find it interesting that after all the upheaval and after all the, you know, the, the, the lack of playing time for a lot of the guys like Jason and Jalen, like, right, those two guys specifically, um, and Kyra Irving coming over being labeled a bad defensive player and is still an okay defensive player, but not like outrageously good. Um, this team still put up numbers of one of the best defensive teams of the past 15 years. So I think is that for me, when we get all said and done, that's the most surprising statistic is that this team, without one of their better players, and and Hayward is a good defender, they're able to run um, off this – and, again, part of this is schedule too, but they were able to run throughout this 16-game winning streak basically playing one of the best defensive uh, units that anybody in the past 15 years has seen. Yeah. Um, I, I think that number slipped a little bit in the last couple of games. Um, you know, they went on a little road trip and – that these things are going to happen. Like you said, they're not going to play to that level for an entire season, or, or it's extremely unlikely that they will. Um, but, yeah, I don't think that it was one of the best defensive teams in the last 15 years. I think that they were matching the best defensive team we've seen in a long time, a team that um, won a title that seems completely out of place with the rest of the league. Their defense was so good that they won a title with a roster construction that is, you know, nearly unprecedented other than them and maybe one, you know, the Dallas team with Dirk that, that had some... Uh, limitations that you wouldn't normally expect to see from a title team. That defense was that good. That defense played in a time when offenses were not like they are now. To match that defensive rating, even over 15 games, um, in an era where teams shoot and move the ball and run like they do now, as opposed to how they did in the early 2000s, is, you know, that can't hold for an entire season. But the fact that they were able to do it for 15 games is really, really impressive. Uh, and it's, you know, a really good sign for, for where the team could go from here. Like you said, there were some things, you know, schedule, stuff like that that was in there. But there are other teams that have played schedules that, you know, were not the hardest schedule. And, and within that mix, they played the Warriors. They played uh, Oklahoma City, who were a little bit down at that point, but obviously have a ton of talent. Um, and to to be able to put together a defensive stretch like that, I think indicates that they probably, for the season, will be, you know, at worst, the second third best defense in the league even if they, they flip some and to be able to do that without uh, like you said Gordon Hayward who is an underrated defender um, in large part because he plays a position where there are a number of other really great defenders that uh, you know he's not Kawhi right he's not Paul George but he plays you know an extremely important defensive position and was going to play a huge role in the team and he goes down and they you know plug in a couple other young players and Marcus Morris comes back and somehow they don't miss a beat and they're playing better than anybody could have expected uh, in large part, they've, they've been playing defense like I think we thought they might last year, um, you know, coming off of two seasons ago, but even a level above that. So, uh, yeah, if you're looking for one, you know, most impressive, most surprising thing from the win streak, I would say it's that and also just how well Jason Tatum has played as a 19-year-old. But those are the two things that, that I think would stand out the most. Quick break to talk about my friends at MyBookie. Holiday cash, you need it, and I know where to get it. MyBookie is the place to score some serious cash on your sports predictions. Believe it or not, holidays just around the corner. We all know this. And while that means plenty of parties, gifts, and spending, it also means there's lots of football, lots of basketball, and hockey games you can score big on every day. Man up and play like the pros on game day. You can play the money line, side, or total. My bookie is your hookup for all your betting needs and offers super 
fast payouts when you win. Where you bet is just as important as who you're betting on. And if you want to make money betting the games, you got to go to mybookie.ag. It's the only site I'd recommend. I trust them, but don't take my word for it. Check them out yourself. They have odds on every matchup and a mobile site that makes wagering on your smartphone a breeze. Look, sometimes you want to throw down some some cash while you're watching the game. Or maybe you're like you're watching the pregame show. And you're like, oh, I want to th-. just take your smartphone out. Bang. Throw some money down on the game. Join now and my bookie will match your deposit with up to a 50% bonus by using the promo code CelticsBeat. Use the promo code SouthwickSpeed to activate the offer. Visit mybookie.ag today and win some cash for the holidays. You play, you win, you get paid with mybookie.ag. This show is also brought to you by our friends over at DraftKings. Listen up, Poop fans. Basketball season is back. Now that your favorite hardware heroes have returned to action, it's time for you to put your fantasy knowledge to the test and win huge cash prizes every single night by playing one-day fantasy basketball right at DraftKings.com. At DraftKings, so many different ways to play. Choose from public contests with huge cash prizes, private contests where you can compete against your friends, and anything in between. Beginner, casual contest where you play against people of similar skill level and the second best part is you draft a new team every day and drafting a new team is arguably the best part of fantasy but the real best part winning cash while doing it just ask dan from st louis or jeremy from austin they both turned three bucks into a thousand dollars that is insane payouts huge cash prizes, and bragging rights await you only at DraftKings. go on to draftkings.com right now use the promo code clns to play free with your first deposit in a contest of the share of $10,000 in total prizes tonight. Again, do not wait. Use the code CLNS at DraftKings.com with your first deposit, okay, to get some serious cash tonight. That's the code CLNS, only at DraftKings.com, the game inside the game. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Now back to Ryan. Man, you're doing, you're doing an outrageous job of like transitioning for me because this is exactly where I wanted to go. With Hayward's injury, you know, the two guys that have stepped up the most on this team are these two young kids in Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, 21 and 19. And these two guys have played out of their minds. And we'll get to both guys like sort of individually because they are two of the biggest storylines on the Celtics right now. But do you have like do you have a flag in either camp of you know you like this player over the other player because I mean it, it's an awesome luxury to have two wing players like Jason and Jalen where like wing players are such a commodity in today's NBA like you kind of have to have them it's a guard driven league I know but when you have wing players like these guys like it kind of sets you apart from everybody else do you have a flag in either camp are you more of a Tatum guy or more of a Brown guy? Yeah, I mean personally, I think Tatum is a level higher uh, as a player and a prospect than than Brown is. Um, maybe not today, but certainly as a prospect, you know, I think that, that Tatum is a level higher. Uh, that's not a knock on Jalen, right? I think that what we've seen from Tatum as a 19-year-old indicates that he could be a top 5 or 10 player in the league. Uh, you know, when he gets a couple years in, um, he could be even better than that. It's not out of the question that he could be an MVP candidate uh, by the time he's, you know, 24, 25 years old because he's, what he's doing as a 19-year-old is just sort of ridiculous. It's hard to find comparisons for him because it's so rare that you see a player with this talent at this age play on a team this good for this many minutes, right? There's sort of a perfect storm here of things that are going on where he's playing a role that seems to perfectly fit the talents that he actually has. He looks nothing like the player he looked like in college. It's crazy. But for the NBA talents he has, he's in a role that that's um, uh, really well-suited 
for him. So if he can take those talents and expand out on his game, and, and there's some things in there that uh, could really make a, a frightening NBA player. Uh, Jalen, I think, is a little bit different. Um, I look at him more as, you know, I've said this on Twitter and other places, and sometimes people, I think, misinterpret what I'm saying, that he's more in the sort of elite role player camp than, um, you know, a perennial all-star potential MVP candidate sort of level when he gets gets further along. Now, I've been wrong about Jalen pretty much from the beginning. I don't watch a ton of college basketball, but a lot of things he did in college scared me um, when they drafted him. Uh, and so, again, you know, I hope I'm wrong, and I, and I could be wrong, but when I say that he's an elite role player, you know, I'm talking about him being this team's Andrea Godala, who all dang, you know, not the average starter, much better, you know, better than that. Um, the best 3 and D sort of player in the league. He has limitations that I don't think that, that Tatum has, uh, at least at this point. So I'm in the, the Tatum camp, but um, it's two guys who I'm very happy to have on the team. The one thing about Tatum that I think is, like, and I'll, I'll make the same case for Brown in, in a little, I mean a little bit differently, but the thing about Tatum that I love is Tatum is averaging 14 points a game, taking shots that the team wants him to take. It's not like he's really expanding his offensive game a ton. It's like, okay, you have a very specific, you talked about roles like with Evan Turner, which is a brilliant point. There's a very specific role for, for Jason Tatum. It's like take open threes, move the ball, attack closeouts, and late the shot clock when you have to make something up, like make it up. And he's done that and averaged 14 points a game doing that. And the, my one big thing with Tatum is, is, and I'm begging Brad to do this, and I'm not sure when it's going to happen. It just has to happen at some point. But eventually he needs to like t- loosen the training wheels a little bit. I, he, the other night against Miami, he did this. I was just watching the clip like maybe a half hour ago. Uh, he's, he catches the ball on the left wing. Attacks a closeout. I think it's Richardson that's on him. Uses a behind the back move, splits two defenders, and draws the contact on whoever's trying to draw the charge, and finishes the layup. And one goes line and finishes the play. I, I I don't see many guys in the NBA making that play. Never mind guys his age, nineteen years old. I I find it fascinating that the guy we saw in college, the guy that we saw in summer league, is nothing like the guy that they are, are trying to transform him into right now. Like he is such an efficient player. In the system they want him to like to thrive in, I'm just like with the the struggles of the bench and the way that they've been able to not score. Um, I'm kind of looking at Brad's to see if if what he changes in the rotation in terms of like how he manages certain guys with certain lineups. And we know Brad's going to tinker with stuff. That's what he does this part of the year, and it drives people absolutely nuts. And they'll throw games away just to see if certain lineups can work. That's been what they've been doing that for three, four years now. I want them to tinker with Tatum so that he has an opportunity to play more with his second unit and become more of a primary scorer with those guys. And then you revert back to the starting lineup and he becomes the guy that shoots open threes, attacks closeouts, and moves the ball. Yeah, and this, this is a point that um, you know I've made and I think a number of other people have made where basically if you have a 630 true shooting percentage on, on a, you know, a large number of minutes, um, it means that you should be taking more shots. Right, like if you have that level of efficiency, whatever your role might be, it means that there is room for you to take more difficult um, shots, or, or you know, to expand your role and up your usage. Because even if you know, even if you take a hit on your efficiency, your level of efficiency currently is so high that you'd still be coming down to a level where you're above average. So I think that's absolutely the case. Um, we know that he has some of those skills for shot creation that he hasn't used with the starting lineup. Uh, I think we've seen throughout you know these games that whoever basically what brad does is he takes one of jalen or jason out as the first sub 
and then that player plays the first couple of minutes of the second unit and then the other player subs in for them and becomes the player on that second unit. There's been some games where it's been Marcus Morris who's um, sort of got in that mix as well. But uh, yeah, I agree. I would like to see Tatum as a, you know, sort of to open and close the game playing the role he is now. But when you go through those minutes where you've got Smart and Rogier and Tice or Baines out there and, uh, you know, they're really struggling to score. Again, they give up no points. So they're not killing the team necessarily, but uh, where they really do struggle to, to score, you have a guy who's out there who in a certain role is hyper-efficient and that we know has the ability to expand that game because it's what we saw in college and in the preseason and summer league. Uh, so, yeah, I would like to see, you know, maybe not the sort of left-wing, post-up, difficult turnaround sort of game, but give him the ball and let him create a little bit and, you know, maybe get into a little bit more pick and roll on either side of that, you know, as the ball handler or as a roller. He's a, a six-eight guy with long arms who can finish. Um, there's not a lot of second-unit defenders who are going to be able to, to deal with him. Uh, obviously, he can pick and pop. He can show him that he's been able to hit threes from sort of open to semi-contested. He, he doesn't force a lot of shots, which is which is good with the starters. But, yeah, I agree that, that there's a lot of room for him to expand his game and a lot of room for that efficiency to come down and still be, you know, well above average. Uh, so I think there is a, a lot of room there to work with. Yeah, Jalen, on the flip side of that, I was mentioning how you know Tatum scores 14 a game, basically taking shots that the coaching staff wants him to take. The funny thing about Jalen is Jalen is a guy that averages about like 18 a game, and I think we all can agree that Jalen's handle is like not great. <laughs> and this is still a guy that finds a way to score, uh, you know, in terms of three-point percentage. Like he's really good from three-point range right now. He's 40%, 41% from three right now. Uh, a, a mark that you mentioned in college um, was not nearly as high. It was like a 25% three-point shooter. So to expand his game in that regard um, is is unbelievable. And the, again, the one thing that I think that holds Jalen back um, are two things. One thing, it's just the ball seems to stick Whenever he seems to touch it, and I and it, it doesn't bug me right now because they need points. Um, but in in you know when this team gets more familiar and as they get better at sharing the basketball, like that's going to bug me. Um, and and there's been a little bit with him and Tatum. Like I think they really enjoy playing together. So like J- Jalen is very like very open to passing the ball to Jason Tatum, which I think is great. Um, but that holds him back, and I think and I think that the handle holds him back. And this is where like my my attitude on Jalen sort of changes from yours. Like I think he is a really elite level role player. Um, but I do think there is another level to, to Jalen Brown. And I think there is like this, like second best player on a championship team, sort of left, like ceiling to him. Now it's going to take him a lot to get there. He has to clean up his handle a whole ton. He has to get, you know, uh, better at that, better at shooting off the dribble, which is something that he's actually really improved on this season. Um, but if he's able to put these two like small things together, because he's so athletic and because he has such a vicious first step, I see a guy that is an absolute nightmare in transition, especially if he's going to, you know, instead of barreling into somebody and get an offensive foul charge call, pull up from the free throw like he did against Dirk the other night, or, you know, just get to the rack at well, find different ways to find different angles and, and you know, collect and draw fouls. I see a guy that's just an absolute nightmare to stop because he is an unbelievable athlete. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly within the realm of possibility, right? Um, it's, when I say that I think he's, you know, probably caps out at being an elite role player, uh, it's not a 0% chance. It's rare that there's a 0% chance. There's a better percent chance with him than, than with a number of other guys who I sort of think that way about uh, because he's very young and because um, he does have that elite athleticism. So where I – one of the things I wonder about is um, does he have – 
tunnel vision because he doesn't have a great handle right now. And if he gets a better control of that, then that will be a tool that he can use to get over that. Or is it because he doesn't have great court vision? He just doesn't have great court vision. He's not never going to be a great passer, even if he um, tightens up the handle. So I don't know. I don't know which way that goes. I've seen, I think it's certainly easier to improve sort of body control and, and your handle as the player ages. There are some players who just don't have great court awareness and great vision and um, have gone on to do really great things, but uh, it can be a limiting factor. And so I do worry about that, um, that he runs himself into some, some blind alleys and has the athleticism to get out of it a lot of times. Um, but, you know, he doesn't pass particularly well. Uh, he turns the ball over, um, you know, a little bit. Tatum turns the ball over a lot basically by charging, right? Like he just commits offensive fouls. Um, and I, and I hope that that will go away. He seems to have such great body control already uh, that, you know, I, I hope that some of that is as he gets more favorable calls and as he learns some of the tricks of the NBA that uh, that he'll be able to improve on that front. Jalen turns the ball over in a lot of different sort of odd ways with, you know, that I look at and say, oh, okay, well, he's 21, so he may just learn and, and grow out of that. But I, I wonder about that. Um, but he certainly... You know, he could get double second best player on a title team is a very high level for anybody to get to. So I am always a little bit shy about going quite that far. But yeah, I agree. I mean, if he if he tightens up his handle and that solves some of the other problems, then um, you know I'll be wrong again, and and I hope I am right. I hope that, I hope that there's two players there who can become the the you know two of the cornerstones of a title team. Level headed, level. Ah, there we go. Level headed analysis from Ryan Bernardoni, who is the overlord, I think, of something Twitter. Anyway, editor in chief of <laughs> editor in chief of Celtics Hub, uh, and of course, Danger Car on Twitter. If you're not already following him, what are you doing? Um, but get on that, Ryan. Thanks for taking some time. Um, thanks uh, for joining us after the holiday, a Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, enjoy LA. Get, uh, do you have to travel? Are you traveling back to the eastern part of the states uh, at some point, or no? Yeah, Monday night, though. I'm not traveling on the worst travel days. So I'll, so I'll be, be back stateside uh, in a couple of games and and um, back into the – hopefully it's not snowing when I get back, but we'll see how it works. Yeah, smart. Well, safe travels, Ryan. Appreciate the time, man, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, okay? Yeah, thanks. And that's going to do it for this episode of Celtics Beat here on CLNS Media. Before I go, though, I want to thank my sponsors for today's show, mybookie.ag. Go to there right now to win some cash today. Enter the promo code CELTICSBEAT to get a 50% bonus on your deposit. Also, DraftKings or DraftKings.com right now and at first deposit if you're gonna make a new you know username, do that. First deposit, make sure you enter that promo code CLNS to get a free entry into a $10,000 pool tonight. And also, do not forget, you can win two tickets to see the Celtics at the TD Garden Wednesday, December 6th, against the Mavs. Enter right now by purchasing Harry's this holiday season using the code harrys.com backslash Celtics. Screenshot your receipt. Email to Larry at LHR at clnsmedia.com again to win that pair of tickets to see the Mavs. Some thank yous to hand out first off to you guys. You guys are awesome. You want to hear more from me, make sure you check me out on Twitter at Evan Valenti E-V-A-N-V-A-L-E-N-T-I Want to shout out Ryan Bernardoni at Danger Card of course on Twitter the the editor-in-chief of Celtics Sub, my Executive producer of this show, Larry H. Russell, the normal host. Thanks for letting me host it this week. Shout out to Larry. Our CEO and founder, Nick Gelso, the people behind the music, Chuck Dietz and Steph Legrato. And again, thank you, you guys, so much. I love you guys. We'll talk soon as a part of CLNS Media.
Yes, I want to 